24 frames was just the lowest, easily divisible number that would work for sound. Ironically, the need for a consistent 24 frames per second created headaches in the sound department. The first sound cameras with their whirling electric motors were very noisy, forcing camera operators to shoot from a soundproof booth through a window. Technology and design did eventually catch up, but the 24 frames per second frame rate is still very much with us today. Almost a culturally ingrained in what we come to expect from a cinematic experience. A frame rate is a cinematic experience. I'm in 24P. <laughs> and welcome to Court Killers, the show about watching stuff you love, when you want, where you want, how you want. I'm Tom Merritt. Hey man, I'm Brian Brushwood. And more importantly, we are joined by the inimitable John Hess of Filmmaker IQ. That of course, that opening clip is from uh, what, three or four years ago, you did a video on frame rates yeah. and you revisited it saying the bolder version of it is 24 frames per second will never, ever die. And you defended it, I thought, quite well in this recent video. Thank you. And, and uh, I lit up half of the uh, or quarter of the internet. They so, so, really so, hate me. Uh, but, but you do a really good job of differentiating the type of programming that is a natural fit for the high frame rate stuff because you want it to be more real. But we like the dreamlike quality of the just good enough for our brains to fill in the gaps experience that 24 frames per second bring us. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, if, if you look at what the content's out there right now, you look at all the shows on Netflix and all the shows on Amazon, all that stuff, Hulu and all that stuff coming out. It's all 24. So, you know, the argument that, that technology has made 24 obsolete is not really true because we're shooting 24 nowadays. That, that's what yeah. people expect. Well, and, and it's so counterintuitive. I remember the first time that the MTV Music Awards were broadcast in 24 or shot in 24 frames per second. I was just like, why is this? It looks like a movie. Why, why is this yeah. so epic? And it's like because they, they did the counterintuitive thing of reducing the amount of bandwidth between us. I don't know if you ever watched like some of the old Comedy Central standups like mid 2000s when they would shoot, you know, the wide shot would be in 30 frames a second at that 60i and then you would get that roaming camera in 24. You could instantly tell when they switched over. It, it but, reminds uh, me of like the old days where it's like you would see a Monty Python sketch yes, happening yes. on video and then suddenly they would walk outside and you're like, why is this suddenly a movie? <laughs> because exactly. because they, they wouldn't do video outside. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll just to add the point, you know, my, my statement about 24 being here forever is for 2D cinematic experiences. I think, you know, if we go into a hologram, whatever comes after cinema, you know, whether it's holograms or shooting images into your brain or whatever it is, that's going to find its own frame rate too. But my statement's really just for what we experience as movies as narrative television. Well, it, and it's a bit like the fact that vinyl is technically obsolete, but also will never, ever die. There will be audiophiles mm -hmm. who adore the aesthetic of vinyl and will always hold on to it. And I think that'll be the case for 24 FPS as well. Well, I, I mean, I'm going a little bit bolder than that. And I'm saying that 24, even even with all the digital advancements, you're never, you're never, even with all the 8K and 12K, we're still shooting at 24 frames a second. So we're kind of stuck with that. Rate. Agreed. Yeah. I'm in 24P right now. Are you? Are you? Yeah, good. I, I was just and thinking you did look epic and grand. The P stands for permanent. <laughs> for for permanent, you're permanently 24. Yes, <laughs> 24 <good>. years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about my frame rate. I just mean inside. I'm permanently inside. 24. All right, uh, let's uh, start off with our primary target. 
Roku CEO Anthony Wood appeared on the Recode Media podcast with Peter Kafka. And uh, during his conversation, it's a really interesting episode. You should absolutely check it out. Uh, he started talking about Google and Amazon and Apple. Uh, and, you know, Kafka very appropriately asks, you know, like, hey, you know, Apple TV, right? That's uh, Google getting in with Chromecast and all of that. What Are you worried? Woods said he believes Roku's technology is superior to all of them. He also thinks one of Roku's advantages is focus. Quote, all we do is we come to work every day and we think about how to make TV better. Those companies, yes, they're great companies, but they come to work thinking about how can I sell a bunch of shoes, meaning Amazon? How can I be better at search? Google. How can I sell more phones? Apple. TV is on their list, but it's at the bottom of their list. So now, Brian, before we start kicking this around, I would like to pull out from 2006 quote from Palm CEO Ed Colligan about a rumored Apple phone to which he said, we've learned and struggled for a few years here figuring out how to make a decent phone. PC guys are not going to just figure this out. They're not going to just walk in. Well, okay. Uh, I, to be honest, of, of these two paradigms, because you're right, Palm uh, did not survive. Uh, but also, Palm was only a, a recent entry into the phone side of things. It wasn't like they had a dominant 10-year leader. They didn't have a, a dominant 10-year market position. They didn't have a dominant 10-year technology uh, uh, solving all the problems of UI. They, they had not solved the UI problems and all that stuff. However, uh, I do feel like the interesting part about that quote from uh, from Roku is when they say when they say they have the better technology, I think it's important that you couch technology, not so much as the hardware and the gizmos, because they're fairly you know, lightweight devices to begin with, regardless. But the important thing on the technology is the science of UI, the science of what do people naturally want to do? How do people like to discover their content? The technology in terms of understanding how to tell the story of television to uh, does it pass the babysitter test and you know yes we i remember like even going to your place sitting down with the new apple tv you had to explain to me like oh you want to skip a commercial okay well hold on you gotta first you gotta turn on the receiver and turn the thx to uh, 5280 and then you know that was, the, <laughs> that was I mean, nothing like that it was press click and slide right but okay but I, it was counterintuitive and i had to have it explained <laughs> yeah, to yeah. me right which is something that i think roku's really good of, about so when i when i hear the word technology i substitute you know their understanding of human nature their dominant uh, market position and their uh, ease of ui Although a lot of people claim that the Apple UI is nicer, it's better, uh, and that, yes, once you have that little learning curve about how the remote works, uh, it is it is more intuitive in general, and and people tend to prefer that, that UI because it's more adaptable, because Apple has had so much experience making it for tablets and for phones, uh, and Roku doesn't. So I think you can turn this on its ear, and, and John, I know you use a Fire TV, uh, yeah. And how, how, how do you feel it fits into this? How do you like that UI and what do you like about being in that universe? It, it's, it's just a simple UI. I mean, I have the uh, fire and also have the PlayStation four and it's just, you just go to the content you want and you push a button and you push play and that's really it. Well, so, and, and so along that line, one of the things I've said for years is that the strength of the fire, uh, stick is, or, or the fire TV is not so much on its UI or its uh, intuitive, you know, the ease of use or whatever. It's its strength is the fact that once you glom on to one purchase ecosystem, like like I don't tend to buy things from the Apple store. Therefore, uh, because because I bought 
20 movies at some point I passed a threshold and there was a gravity well and now that's the place I go to buy all the content and get everything all signed up is is that the case that led you to the fire tv or was that just like what you got for christmas that year well I actually bought the fire stick because it's the simplicity of use actually it's just so so darn easy to use. I mean, that, yeah, that's and, and that's usually what people say about whatever their preferred platform is, is they like the way it works. Some of it's probably just getting used to it if it's the first thing you use, but some of it is just different people using different things, I suppose. Yeah, so here's the question is, uh, how, how much of the battle is going to be a battle of inertia where by virtue of being first, Roku gets to stay being first. And how I'll, much I'll of it tell is, you, is here, well Let me deserved. short circuit this. Okay. Because I, 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 I think I think where it goes is, is the thing you're always hammering on about, Brian, which is voice control. Uh, and the one thing that Roku doesn't have the technology for is superior voice control. Or maybe they do. Maybe that's the wink here from Anthony Wood. And he's going to come out with some amazing voice control for the Roku next. And we're all going to be blown away. But Amazon is the leader in voice control. Google has amazing voice control. Apple has decent voice control. Uh, Roku has voice control, but it's not nearly at the same level. And I think that could be the differentiating factor that they're missing in the future. Uh, John, do you use the mm-hmm. voice control a lot on your Fire? I, I actually do use it quite often. I find it's it's a lot simpler than trying to type the damn title into the screen because you're just like it's just too long. Although the best version is when it anticipates your needs, and the moment you turn it on, it's like, I know, I know, you're here for Better Call Saul. Here it is. I've already figured that out. Right. You type in BET, and it's like, okay, Better Call Saul. I know what you want. And and just AI smarts, whether it's voice control or not, that's another area that Google has an advantage of. Apple has a whole department on. You know, Amazon works on. I don't know that Roku has the resources for that stuff either. So do you think – it sounds to me like you're talking a little bit of betting against Roku here. I, I'm not, but when they say their big advantage is we have superior technology and we come to work thinking about how to make TV better, my immediate thought is, well, you don't have the superior technology. That's an obstacle you need to overcome. So either you're selling me a bill of goods for PR reasons, which is fine, or you're drinking your own Kool-Aid. The, the argument we come to work to make TV better is a good one. It's like, yes, then you should have the superior product. I look at the interface on the Roku, and frankly, the remote isn't that great. It may be better than the Apple TV remote to a lot of people, uh, but it's chunky and, and kind of slow, or at least it has been in my experience in the past. So I don't see the evidence of that in my everyday use of the Roku either. Yeah, but as far as a lo-fi solution, and we've talked about this before, the real thing that they nailed it on was getting baked into televisions. Because, right. you know, uh, the best camera you have is the one that's already in your pocket, and that's why cell phone He's cameras... He's not touting that as his company's big advantage. Correct. I, I guess that's, that's where I'm going. Uh, yeah, and, and and I do, I agree. That's, that's dumb marketing speak from somebody who's in a number one position, and uh, I think you are correct in that it's largely not true. If I'm being generous, like I said, by technology, they do have a, you know, what, a 20 12-year, 15-year head start on the habits of viewers and what they expect to get out of a TV I mean, watching gizmo. I think Roku, you know, I'd have to look it up for sure, but it's, it's it's a little over 10. Yeah. Yeah. They spun out of Netflix. I mean, Wood was working at Netflix and put was put on the Roku project before it got spun out. So he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe a little bit of bluff and bluster, but in general, I mean, they're, they're not totally wrong. I'll tell you what doesn't ever use bluff and bluster, Brian. Uh, except for this segment right now, and you'll see why in just a moment. Oh, we are not bluffing. Oh, no. We I may be blustering. I'm going to bluster. I'm going to bluster. You know what? You know what? I'm just going to say it. 
we're $1 shy of the comfort level figure at patreon.com slash cord killers. Yes, you know Ooh. that we are independent. We are 100% independent from you guys. I mean, or because of you guys. We're not, I guess we're all sovereign individuals. Yeah, but, sure. But, but no. the important thing is that we don't do ads. We don't have to do ads. That means we get to talk about things directly and give you our honest opinions. And that's all because of the fine patrons over at patreon.com slash cord killers. We are $1 shy of a very important number. One of you guys has been on the fence and you think the show's worth a buck, maybe we save you some money, maybe we give you good advice, maybe we turn you on to something. We just want that buck. Just one dollar. Hey, look, we're not going to call you out by name, but we know who you are. Just, just give us the dollar. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's cool. You know what? You know Here, you want a, to. As a matter of fact, Tom, uh, uh, Tom and I are going to turn around right now. We're turning around right now. We're not even going to look. Uh, just when we turn around, we just want that dollar to be there. This no is a good visual bit. <laughs> and in the meantime, you we can tell because my sound was different. <laughs> in the meantime, I guess we'll check in on how to watch. So people who use Plex are like a cult uh, in that uh, they're always evangelizing for their platform, which is a very good platform. The hump that some people have in using Plex is the requirement that you have to have your own storage space locally, or at least it used to be until Plex launched its cloud service. And I thought, this is genius. They'll let you use Amazon Web Services, Dropbox, whatever, in case you're the kind of person who's like, I just don't want to set up storage. I know it's supposed to be easy. I just don't want to do it. Bad news. Plex is shutting down its cloud service as of November 30th due to multiple technical issues keeping it running. The service allowed users to integrate cloud storage from Amazon, Dropbox, Google, and Microsoft into their Plex media servers and has been in maintenance mode for a few months. Now, if you are a Plex user who keeps your own Plex media server locally with its own storage, then it's fine. You're, you're, you're going to be fine. Uh, if you have integrated the cloud service, you've got till November 30th to move your stuff out and put it on an external drive. You'll be fine. You've got time to do it. Uh, but I think the biggest problem with this story, Brian, is that this was a way to get people to use Plex that might not otherwise, and they're having to not do this. Yeah, now they're not going to be served. Uh, John, do you do you use Plex or? Uh... I've I've seen it on my Drobo, but I have no idea what it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's Sorry. the new in thing. It's like instead of uh, finding and, stuff, and that I, I you know that gives me hope in a way because you had a Drobo, you didn't need the cloud mm -hmm. service. That wasn't your impediment. It was just you just need, need to learn more about Plex, which is a sure. fantastic home media server. Et cetera, et cetera. So w was there any legal entanglements whatsoever? Because I, I know that there are Plex servers that, that people, you know, love uh, getting questionable. I don't think that has to them. do with this story. Uh, you know, the, the letting us, someone else log into your server, et cetera. Um, I, I think it was it was just using get, getting the technology to integrate uh, yeah. and, and be reliable. They, they had some reliability issues and and Amazon's costs went up. So I think that might have been part of it as well. When they first launched it, you had to pay for it yourself, and then they included it as part of Plex Cloud Service. Is there uh, any chance that there was intentional confounding efforts on uh, the behalf of any of these cloud service providers? 
where it's like they're like, well, let's make it a little more. Let's, oh, hey, we just updated the way you log in or whatever. And at some point, uh, Plex is just like, well, this is a pain in the butt and we can't keep up with all these. Uh, yeah, if anybody is doing. in the know and not like I heard from a guy or I bet I know, but like you're like, oh, no, I work at Plex or I work at Amazon. I know exactly what's going on here. Let us know. Courtkillers at gmail.com because I'd like to know if there's any inside scoop. We promise not to use your name if if that's something that concerns you. But I'd like to know if there's something else behind this story other than just we couldn't get it working. Right. Because because that that's a uh, fairly lame reason. You know, it's like uh, those services are only getting more mature and the APIs are only getting more robust and you're only getting more successful with more engineers to fix this problem. The idea of like, oh, you know, it turns out nobody can go to the moon. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. no, I, I think I can accept this reason if they're saying we could do it because what they're saying is we're super bummed about the impact this will have on our happy cloud users, uh, but we haven't found a solution capable of delivering a truly first class Plex experience. So having worked with some of these cloud services before, you get what you pay for. If you want cheap storage, you get it, but it's not fast. And it's not always there. Sometimes it's even almost like cold storage. Oh, so you that's have to pay a little extra to get the bandwidth to make sure it's reliable. Plex may be running into a cost benefit problem here where they're like, it's just not worth it to make this work the way it needs to work. And the companies don't want us to use it for that. And so they're not they're not actively interfering, but they're not helping us. Uh, and, and, and they have no incentives to do so. They yeah. have no incentives to make it easy. Because the idea was you subscribed to Amazon Drive, right? Uh, and then you integrated into your Plex Pass. But there, there can be all kinds of networking issues between Se those. Separate theory. Separate the theory. Yeah. Uh, they're getting ready to go big, and they're going to have their own cloud cloud service, whatever. Like we're not going to support everyone else's stuff. We're just going to do our own proprietary thing. I mean, I'd be tempted to think they should wait to end this cloud service until they can say, "But guess what? You can easily move it all yeah. over to our new one." But maybe yeah, the timing. But, but, but that that out. could be perceived as a cash grab, like, hey man, what you had worked and you shut it down just so you could launch your own proprietary thing. Uh, well, I mean, okay, but you're it's it's competing bad news. It's either uh, we're canceling the service entirely, which is bad bad news, or we're canceling that service but giving you an option to to move is usually accepted in a better spirit. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, what's your bet from what little you've heard here, John? Uh, I, I'm thinking it's it's probably done for. Um, I think there's there's too many of the other players involved here that are got a lot deeper pockets here. So I think I think uh, it's probably the end, end of Plex as we see it, or so or at least the the cloud storage services. The cloud, yeah, the, clouds, yeah. the the Plex cloud. Well, we'll see, we'll see. All right, we do all of this crazy technology stuff so we can watch things. Let's talk about what to watch and under surveillance. Few things coming out over the next month. Netflix has an animated series based on the graphic novel Hilda from Luke Pearson. Hilda is a young girl in love with all the magical creatures of the forest in which she lives, who is then forced to move to the city and discover that maybe there's mystical creatures in the city. Comes to Netflix on September 21st. This sounds great. Uh, this is a cool. uh, family friendly kid stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I keep waiting for the part where it's like, uh, and she wrestles with the demons of having been abused, or uh, like I'm. But if, <laughs> if but if it's if it's true, it finds out that mystical creatures are homeless and shooting up smack. I, no, that's yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Hold on, let me write this down. I'm gonna call the Writers Guild. 
I don't no, I don't think so. I think this is this is it might have like a six, seven plus something or other on it. Sure. I don't know. I haven't looked, but uh, last July, authors Chuck Wendig and Sam Sykes created a hilarious Twitter conversation about a camp counselor in the midst of a massacre. Veronica Belmont and I did a dramatic reenactment of it for sword and laser patrons, but now we're jealous because it's getting an honest-to-goodness full-length feature movie made out of a Twitter thread called You Might Be the Killer, starring Allison Hannigan as a character called Chuck, who gets a panic call from her friend Sam. You Might Be the Killer will premiere in your hood, Brian, at the Fantastic Film Fest in Austin on September 21st. Dude, that's fantastic. And I, I got to tell you. Fantastic Film Fest, actually. Uh, cr- uh, correct. Uh, that is wonderful. No, Brian, that's one con. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's Dragon. No, that's not a real thing. <laughs> it's You're comic. trying to make it a thing. Uh, the uh, No, this is fantastic. And it doesn't surprise me that something like this would start as a uh, Twitter thread. And my guess is like somebody just watched it happen and reached out saying, hey, I'm a screenwriter. Can I just, you know, would you mind or can we have an agreement? Or I'm curious to find out because uh, <laughs> I saw Sam Sykes at an author meetup shortly after and told him like, oh, Veronica and I reenacted your and Chuck's Twitter thing. It was so good. And he's like, reenactment, huh? Mm. And he got this weird smile like there may be news, but he couldn't tell me anything. And this is obviously what he was talking about. Uh, that's great, man. I wonder how the I, royalty split works on that. Like, who gets the credits here? I guess they would. The Twitter writers would get a couple. Of the they story got buys. credited they, as producer in the trailer. Oh, so, did, uh, yeah, no. Then, then uh, the free magical Hollywood credits for doing literally nothing extra. Then, besides, say, yeah, I wrote that on Twitter. Uh, then I'm sure they're all in. Yeah, and uh, I, I go go read go read the thread. Uh, it won't spoil the movie, I don't think, uh, <laughs> but it's hilarious. Just the interaction between the two. Uh, Netflix premiered a movie called Hold the Dark at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's an adaptation of William Giraldi's novel from director Jeremy Saulnier. It's about an animal behaviorist played by Jeffrey Wright of Westworld fame. Uh, He's called into a small town to hunt a wild wolf that killed a child, which is something he had to do once before that caused him great trauma. Comes to Netflix US on September 28th. Uh, uh, what a quirky story. I, 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 I feel like there's so much more behind it, but I guess that's why they have movies so that it's I can a- experience all that. <laughs> Cult indie film director makes super dark film with Jeffrey Wright on Netflix. That's the bottom line here, I think. Also, a dog bit a man once. <laughs> now that's news. Wait, no, it's the man bites dog. That's news. Never mind. Uh, Mary Poppins Returns is the sequel to the 1964 movie starring Julie Andrews and has a new trailer out. Uh, if you haven't heard, this one stars Emily Blunt as Poppins, returning to visit Jane and Michael Banks 25 years after the events of the 1964 film, and it comes out December 19th. Uh, that sounds. This sounds awesome. Plus, also, it really looks good. Uh, yeah, and plus also what range from Emily Blunt, uh, like 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 from the uh, uh, what was it, the Angel of Verdun in uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow to this? That's, yeah, uh, that's quite a spectrum. I'm, I'm starting to suspect we might need an antitrust case against Emily Blunt. <laughs> like like, would you stop <laughs> hogging all the movies? Yeah, we're gonna have to break her up into separate Emily Blunts because <laughs> she has too I much really, range. I think I really need to hear more of Lin Manuel Miranda's Cockney accent to make a final decision on this one. But yeah, it does look good. Yeah. Fun. We need a side by side with him and Dick Van Dyke. Who was yeah. also in those move in Mary Poppins Returns? Wait, really? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's dancing too. One so or he's... whatever he is now. Yeah. 
HBO is joining the BBC and New Line's production of His Dark Materials, based on the novels by Philip Pullman. The first season of the show is already in production, and HBO will air the show in the U.S. It's set to have five seasons of eight episodes each. Did uh, did you guys watch the Golden Compass movie when it came out? I did. Uh, was was no, was, was it Sorry. good? Uh, it, it sounded it sounded to me like it was an okay movie, but but it largely fine. it got crushed because they they leaned into the whole this is an indictment of the catholic church thing too much mm, yeah way more than philip pullman actually does in his books he sort of leaves it to the reader to finish that exercise do, do you think there's a better probability of it being good as a television show over a movie or was it a case where they're like the dark tower movie where it's like you can't you can't wedge this it's just too much to cover i i kind of suspect that might be the case yeah the NFL is offering access to Red Zone, the channel that shows you the most important plays across multiple games as they happen, for $5 a month without a cable subscription, but you can only access the subscription through the NFL app for Android and iOS, not tablets, not your desktop, and you can't easily cast it to your TV. They block the normal casting ways. There, there's workarounds, but they really want you to just watch this on your phone, but no cable subscription, and you can still get the Red Zone for five bucks a month. I got to be honest. I'm really surprised that they were able to make this work, You know, given the fact that you know, NFL has had so many entanglements with so many other agreements. This is this is uh, this is how this plays out slowly over the years. Remember Verizon was blocking anybody from doing mobile streams because Verizon had the rights to the NFL on mobile. Mm -hmm. Verizon no longer has those rights. So, so what did the NFL do? They made sure they kept control. Like they've given those rights out, but they've never given them out exclusively. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, finally, American Gods is changing showrunners again. Uh, Jesse Alexander, who replaced Michael Green and Brian Fuller, has not been fired but will not be asked to do any duties on the show associated with writing or show running, including participating in edits or being on set. So kind of fired, but I mean, placed in a rubber room. It's like your job yeah. is you to can be in the just... lobby, drink some coffee. We're still paying you. You can't say you're fired. Uh, 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 John, did you see the American gods? No, I didn't. I didn't follow that. Unfortunately. Uh, uh, Tom, are you still watching American gods? Are you all caught I mean, up? I, on I, I had, there hasn't been a new episode, right? So uh, I watched what was there <laughs> and I haven't seen anything since because they haven't put anything else. Uh, supposedly another writer was promoted to showrunner after they'd not fired Alexander, but quit almost immediately. Uh, so now producing director Chris Byrne and line producer Lisa Kussner are reportedly co-show running uh, and it's still set to come back in 2019. That might be really good news because I gave up after like the third episode and, and this is coming from somebody who loved the book. It's just for whatever reason, the the flat nature of, of television made what felt dreamlike and ethereal in the book yeah. just look silly to me. As we've There's talked a about lot before. of a lot of uh, speculation, a lot of rumors about how much Neil Gaiman's involvement is or is not the cause of these showrunners changes, both good and bad. Some people said uh, Fuller and Green took too many risks and too many changes and that Alexander was being too safe with the with the episodes he made, which are mostly going to come out uh, in 2019. A bunch of them are already in the can. Uh, but but Gaiman has been involved and he hasn't left. He doesn't want to be the showrunner because he's got too many other things in, that he's doing, including being the showrunner on Good Omens. Oh, that's right. I forgot that, that, that we talked about that as well. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, time for Eyes On, uh, where we talk about one or two things we've watched recently that we loved. And uh, John, well, let's start with you. What, what, what's been filling your eyeballs? 
Well, I've been going back and watching the Ozark season one to prepare myself for the season two, I guess, premiere that just came out. I had a friend that worked worked uh, in production on it. So, I, yeah, I was checking it out. It's very uh, – I, I, I'm enjoying it a lot, although I feel – I have a hard time seeing – uh, I have a hard time seeing Michael Bluth in the situation. It's just I'm waiting for. <laughs> I, know, I I feel like they're tapped into a little bit of that uh, gestalt the way um like Training Day did, where it took you you were so used to seeing Denzel Washington as a good guy that Training Day you spend most of the movie wondering like, but but this all has to be because you know he's teaching a lesson because he's good, right? So and he's like, gonna just right. go get the money out of the banana stand, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, I. I, I I, I, he has the same haircut and he has he rides a bike. I mean, it's the same character. Well, but also like, you know, he uh, you know, we associated him with for so long with being the the moral center. And by the way, I think that's mm-hmm. part of why the fifth, uh, fourth and fifth seasons of uh, Arrested Development kind of fell off for a lot of us is like absent him being the true moral center, the one good redeeming aspect of the Bluth family. Once we saw him veer into dark territory, it was just like, OK, well, I guess everyone's just bad. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, whereas, uh, oh. That is one of the things I saw. Speaking of which, I started watching season five of Rested Development. Good God. Uh, that first episode. Uh, 12 minutes of recaps. Uh, still yes. so still credits. Hey, guess what? They don't stop doing that. So, really? No. So tedious. Now, are you watching the remastered, re-edited yeah, ones or the four. original? No, season five. Season the new five. Season. The oh, new season. Yeah. season. Yeah. It's it's like the dude who ruins the joke because he spends so long explaining to you why it's about to be really, really funny. And then you're like, okay, all right. That was a lot of work. Uh, it was crazy. Are you sure you're not watching the season four remaster? Because that was That's a, why that I asked. A lot yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> nope. that one has uh, a lot, too. Yep. There are so Maybe they many. both do. Okay. Yeah. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep them separate in my head. Like fully fully more than a third of the first episode of season five is recapping <laughs> leading up to why we're here. It's, it's insane. Uh, and seeing uh, it from, from the, the way I keep them too. separate is one of them has a dark blue green. T- no, that's Ozark. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no o- Ozark is fantastic. What else you've been watching? Uh, that's been the major one. I just, ca- I, I uh, watched cotton theaters operation finale, which I thought was a pretty, pretty good, um, Pretty good production. Uh, with, what's, what's the story with that one? I'm not familiar with it. It's Poe Dameron, and he's chasing down Nazis. Right um, on. Yeah. So he's chasing. It's it's about the capture of Adolf uh, Eichmann, I believe. Oh, and he, right. He okay. out to Brazil. So it's kind of following the Israeli pursuit of him. It's Wait, a pretty good Amazon stage drama. Which, yeah. which, to be clear, is totally different from uh, his character in Star Wars in which he hunts down yes. space Nazis. Uh, same thing. Right. Right. He's going after he's going after Gandhi. Poe Dameron goes after Gandhi, basically. What's the name of it again? Uh, Operation Finale. And it's on Amazon. Is that right? No, that, that was in theaters. That's oh, in it's theaters. in theaters. It's film. Oh, yeah. you saw the movie. Oh, gosh. I was thinking this was a series for some reason. Never mind. They'll, they'll come back to they'll come. They'll come be on Amazon soon enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. OK, uh, Brian, anything else to add? To- I finished up the good place. We, uh, I don't know that it merits a whole revisit in spoiler in time, but uh, suffice to say, continue to love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, there's a I'm going to use air quotes twist. Like at this point, you can't call it a twist in that, you know, there, there's a change of venue. Right. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think each season we're going to see a change of venue and that's fine with me and yeah I, they I'm just keep pivoting 
you know, it's not exactly a twist anymore because you kind of see it coming. Uh, I have rewatched those first four episodes like five times now as I've shown them to various family members. And then most recently, just to Robert Young, we watched the first four episodes of. I would say that uh, four episodes is the right amount to get in, which takes about, what, 85 minutes or so. So it's mm-hmm. like uh, worth worth the adventure. Uh, I've been watching more of Fresh Off the Boat, which stays fresh, even though they're a couple of years old because uh, it all takes place in the 90s anyway. And uh uh, through my frequent trips to Japan, have been watching Terrace House, Boys and Girls Next Door. Man, you get quite around. A bit. That's uh, so expensive to. I. It's worth it though. To... Uh, just, <laughs> just to be able to watch these episodes that are I mean, only available on Netflix Japan. But and you get there so fast because sometimes I'll call and I'll hear Terrace House in the background, and I realize no, Tom that's must never be in happened. Japan. I don't know what you're talking about that's that's new episodes every week. <laughs> that's a lot of. Trips. He's got every. He's got to just just zip on over to Japan real ba- fast and get back. That's right, amazing. Tom, okay. The new but episodes. The point was are they, that are I've good? been watching boys and girls next door and uh i i really hope they bring this to netflix internationally i hope they figure out the rights issues or the translation issues or whatever it is that they need to figure out because man uh if if you don't like terrace house this isn't going to help you at all but if you like the terrace houses that are available internationally there's so many references there's so many patterns that you see uh that show up in the later series it's really interesting even characters that show up as guests or sometimes as full members of the house uh, come back from those original seasons. So it's really fun to watch. Bryce, what should we be on the lookout for? Hey, everybody. We got an email from Ian. He wrote uh, this letter. He says, hi, guys. I got two shows to enjoy for you. Uh, One is Swiss Army Man. This is actually a movie. Uh, Please watch it for the simple reason that I need someone to explain it to me. I watched it and I think I enjoyed it, but I have no idea why. Uh, this is a, a film starring Daniel Radcliffe, who ends up on a deserted island and finds the corpse of a man. Or no, Daniel Radcliffe is the corpse. Uh, and the man finds that he can adjust Daniel Radcliffe's body like a Swiss Army knife, um, which is, I don't I don't know what you do with that. I, well, but, I, especially if you watch the trailer, and I assume, John, that you've already seen this. but, but I love this movie. I, that's oh, yeah? what everybody says, but I can't get over the hump of just how crass it looks in the trailer. I'm don't like, worry, I, it's like uh, you're worried about Daniel riding Daniel Radcliffe across the ocean like a jet-powered uh, farting machine. Um, that <laughs> happens in the first five minutes of the film. So we get over that part quickly. And then it, it continues on. But it is a fantastic movie. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. Uh, Ian also had another pick uh, for the second White Gold on Netflix. I was a teenager in Britain in the 80s, and this was so close to reality that it makes it that much more hilarious for me. One of my first jobs when I was 16 was knocking on doors, and it was my job to get the appointment for the real salesman to go in and get the double glazing window contract. Uh, enjoy from your lo- loyal patron, the Geeky Brit. Thank you, Ian. So White Gold is streaming on Netflix internationally. It's a Netflix original, and it's a BBC co-production. Uh, Swiss Army Man is a movie, and it's a bit of a mixed bag on where you can find it. Uh, it is streaming in most countries, and it's usually either on Amazon Prime Video or Netflix, but go to something like JustWatch.com and check for your country. Uh, in Mexico, for example, it's on HBO Now. Not going to lie, for a split second, I was hoping that it was White Gold, the rock opera sponsored by the Milk Board that oh, was written MC by Jelly our friend, D. yeah, MC Jelly D. <laughs> no, uh, right. It's uh, worth watching. The uh, Battle for Milquarius, is, if you want to watch the other White Gold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, if you got something we should be on the lookout for, email cordkillers at gmail.com. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there is a reason that those shelves behind me are blank. and You can hear it in the audio. I know you can. Uh, it's because I'm moving. And move meant we had to get a new house. And getting a new house causes costs. And costs can be allayed by sales of my books. So buy my book, Gallium, at TomMeritBooks.com. This this does sound like a money laundering operation, but 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 I'm I'm <laughs> There's on always board. Money in Gallium, available <laughs> yeah, that's at right. TomMeritBooks.com. <laughs> Galliums for Gallium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's, it's a sci-fi fantasy epic based on my own personal experiences with things, and you might find it interesting. So go check it out. Uh, let's move on to the front lines. CBS All Access is making its shows available for download for offline viewing, uh, something that Netflix and Amazon have done for a while, but, you know, it's, it's starting to make its way to the other services. You have to be subscribed to the no commercials tier. I guess that makes sense. That way they don't have to deal with figuring out the, the commercials on a download basis. That tier costs you $10 a month. Once you download it, you have it for 30 days. And once you start playing it, you have 48 hours to finish it. Also, doesn't apply to every single thing on All Access, your local news, your sports. Those aren't available for download. But it does apply to most of the shows and the movies. I would imagine another confounding aspect is the fact that oftentimes advertisements are time-windowed. They have to know yeah, that yeah. it's being seen in a relevant time period or whatever. Uh, uh, Johnny, are you on the CBS All Access or do you have any plans to be? No, I heard bad things about that new Star Trek movie so, or show, so I stayed away. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is one of the brilliant things about it is, like, they could build up an entire back catalog, and then let's say it gets great by the end, then all of a sudden that guy who's ribbing you about Babylon 5 is suddenly saying, like, no, 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 you just, just one month, watch it all in one month. <laughs> Meanwhile, true. IMAX CEO Richard Gelfo told the Golden Sachs Communicopia Conference, that's a, that's a tongueful, that uh, the major streaming services have been in talk, talks to screen original content at IMAX theaters. Uh, translate this out of corporate speak for me. I, uh, but there's nothing to translate. He says like, oh, yeah, I'm talking with Netflix, Amazon, all the big ones about streaming their movies because they need their movies in theaters. And yes, we know about the th like he's basically everybody's good guy. He's like, yes, I want to help you out, Netflix. Yes, theaters, you need my IMAX money. I can bring you more IMAX money if you let me do this. Uh, so, you know, he's the guy at the party that thinks he can make everybody happy, I think. All right. I don't know. John, what do you think? Does that take close? I'm not sure. I, I, I can't follow this. I just hope we don't get those ads in the big movie theaters either. Those little <laughs> pre-roll ads. Well, oh, get, that would be great. They're called trailers. If, uh, uh, halfway through the movie, suddenly it just freezes and you see a yeah. buffering wheel on there. Are you still <laughs> watching? So, yeah, that's <laughs> Everyone in the theater, please click now. Everyone clap if you're still watching. If you want to continue you, you watching Dr. Zhivago, please. <laughs> Uh, Clapping, Quickster will return. Sorry. Cinemia <laughs> has introduced an unlimited plan uh, that lets you see one 2D movie a day at whatever theater you want for 30 bucks a month. So MoviePass doesn't have an unlimited plan anymore, but Cinemia doesn't. But Cinemia's is a lot more expensive than, than MoviePass's was most recently. Cinemia has offered unlimited plans in Europe for several years, uh, so it's not the first time they've done it. And in related subscription theater news, AMC is now letting subscribers to its A-list program get their tickets through Fandango and Adam Tickets. You just put in a code when you check out at either one of those, and it will take it uh, out of your A-list account. So the Cinemia move feels like a tentative toe in the water where basically they're like, OK, well, 
clearly there's something to the idea of genuine unlimited everything that that uh, MoviePass tapped into. So it makes sense. Like even if it is more expensive, like I I would say you could probably get away with it even being even more expensive. Like if, if what yeah, you crave maybe. is knowing that you could see all the movies you want all the time, then forty dollars a month seems reasonable. Thirty dollars a I month have, in your head turns into a dollar a day, right? Like yeah, a dollar, dollar and, a movie. So if you see one movie every day, it's a dollar a movie. I think that may be part of the psychological appeal. What yeah. do you think, John? Um, I, I had Movie Pass for a long time. I had to drop kick them because of all the, the restrictions they put on. I'm now part of the Stubbs program. I'm I unfortunately still don't get enough out enough to see more than maybe one or two movies a, a month. So they're probably still making money off me. Thirty dollars seems about right. I'd be, I'd be afraid to go a little higher than that because then you're competing with like that's like a cable bill. So. Yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, so uh, what about this? What if you took uh, and you threw in like high margin concessions at forty, where it's like you uh, get like you just don't have to ever touch your wallet. You get popcorn and a drink and a movie unlimited for forty dollars a month, and then that's something that costs them essentially nothing. It's like what fifteen cents worth of cola every time you have a, a one of those. Well, consu- consumer side, sure, that makes total sense, and I would totally be on board if if my soda and popcorn is covered but like for the theater because that's really where the theaters make their money is the popcorn and right. sodas they may not want to be on board with that yeah good point unless they were getting compensated for it but then then yeah. mars will have something to say about it because they don't want their candy to- uh hey tom remember when we were talking about the academy of motion pictures arts and sciences plan to add a new category called achievement in popular film i do i do uh, well that. you can forget about it the academy oh. says it will not add the new category this year saying the plans need quote further study so uh, do, do we feel like this was uh, i'm trying to not use a, a charged term but but it seems like they were setting up like like a ghetto for popular films like uh, like it, it was not a good look i don't think yeah ultimately i mean the the problem is you know the concept is okay let's reward movies that maybe are popular but where do you draw the line and that's where the devil the devil's always in the details you know what at what point does a movie become a popular movie versus say a you know a, a artsy movie and you can't really make that any time you draw that line you're going to piss somebody off yeah well, and we, when we talked about it i could think of all kinds of ways you could uh define it by number of tickets sold or or box office receipts uh adjusted for average sales prices etc oh, et 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 right? set it up as something that not every movie can even be in the running for like right it's you have to even to be in the running have to get over a certain number and it's like like all of a sudden that becomes the quote-unquote real award yeah well and the uh, American Motion Picture, I'm sorry, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences CEO Don Hudson pretty much admitted we were just too excited about this idea and we blurted it out before it was ready. I mean, the, she said we were excited to announce many changes to the Oscars because we wanted to show we're evolving. Uh, but we heard from a lot of members who said we're nine months into the awards year and this is creating a lot of confusion. Let's put a pin in this. So it may not be go- gone forever. It sounds like they're doing the more responsible thing, which is Let's figure out if we can make it work, if we can come up with a with a system that everybody agrees is fair to qualify for this thing. First of all, then maybe we add it because maybe there is something if you have like a a neutral way of of qualifying for it that you're like, oh, okay, now some movies can get in here because the public likes them. That might not make it into Best Picture otherwise. 
Yeah. Uh, do you think that by virtue of having blurted it out and do you think this is like an inoculation and now we're not going to get it because it ended that's, up being a whole thing? I mean, that's the knee jerk reaction, right? Is like, oh, so you you realize it's a bad idea and you're trying to cover yourself, right? Well, or, I, think or, they, I think they originally thought it was a good idea. It just It's just trying to figure out how to make it work. That's probably why they had to pull back on it. I guess this is what I'm afraid of is, is maybe it genuinely is a good idea and now we're not going to get it because there was a PR flap with the, with its rollout. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's the right thing to do to figure out how it works before announcing it <laughs> to pull it back. But you're right, Brian, like the act of pulling it back now make, make a lot of people go, you know what? Let's just not wade into that controversy again. Right. Well, Who you know, announced the thing it with the Oscars nearly... is, is it is a is is academy. It's it's got it's got its own history of you know it's not really a people's choice kind of a thing. So have you have you done a filmmaker IQ hard. episode talking about the politics of the academy? I would love to. That's probably when we'll probably do that maybe next award season. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. It's, it's Hulu announced it will make nearly 4,000 episodes of Discovery shows available on demand and add five additional Discovery TV networks to Hulu Live. The new channels are Discovery itself, uh, TLC, Investigation Discovery, Motor Trend, Velocity, and Animal Planet, and they'll all start streaming in December. Congratulations. Uh, meanwhile, NVIDIA released an app for Android and iOS that lets you remotely control a Shield TV streaming box. Apps make it easier to log into services since you can use the phone's keyboard and cut and paste functions instead of doing like John was talking about, the whole like uh, down, 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 right, 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 click, 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 click. Yeah, uh, that, that makes life a whole lot easier. So Shield TV users, there you go. Awesome. Enjoy. Let's get to the dispatches from the front. You're welcome, both of you. <laughs> hey. Now both of them are going to write you. <laughs> Matt Puccio wants to know what happened to NFL Now, the free streaming service that was inside the NFL app. You can still find lots of promos for it out there about how customized videos about your favorite teams and great NFL network shows show up live. All its URLs just point to the NFL videos channel now. So if anybody knows what happened to NFL now, Matt really misses it. Uh, email us cordkillers at gmail.com. Yeah, so this is uh, the misconnections uh, part of cordkillers yeah, right. where it's like me, a guy who likes NFL, you, NFL now, where did you go? Why did you leave my app? <laughs> uh, Michael from Texas says, in AfterTalk, an observation was made that Sling TV doesn't have a last channel button. You probably have already received some answers on this, but if not, the Sling TV app on the Roku uses the back button, the one that looks like an arrow uh, starting into a circle that works as a last channel button. If you hit the OK button on Roku, a quick menu pops up that mentions using the back button or the last channel, but it looks like, Bryce, you got a comment on this. Well, And, and I might not have mentioned this in AfterTalk, but I'm using the Apple TV app, which does mm. not have have that option the menu button on the remote takes you back to my tv not to the previous channel so, so we, we, have, we have a partial Roku solution wins again so, yeah <laughs> uh yeah no that's interesting and thank you michael uh, for yeah. pointing that out thank you uh alex in dallas wrote in and said hey tom and brian on this latest episode of cord killers you guys brought up the new eu law that will require streaming services to have 30 percent european made content and brought up netflix already being near that number something i think you guys missed is how this could hurt niche streaming services like Crunchyroll, which serves almost exclusively Japanese anime. While this law may not hurt big established brands, I think overall this can be bad for those smaller streaming services. Would love to hear your thoughts. Well, Alex, something you and us both missed uh, is this phrase from the EU press release in 2016 announcing the development of these rules. 
The rules include a mandatory exemption for companies with a low turnover and low audiences, as well as small and micro enterprises. It could also be inappropriate to impose such requirements in cases where, given the nature or theme of the on-demand audiovisual media services, they would be impracticable or unjustified. Hey, you know uh, what? And, and, and to this point, Germany already has these rules itself in Germany, and Crunchyroll still exists in Germany. So I don't think you need to worry. But if if the defining the dividing line for online content is the uh, the popularity of it, then that would mean uh, would that mean that pornography services would have to represent uh, from from different locally grown content? I don't think that would be a problem. Okay, <laughs> that might fall. That might fall oh, under no. the. Um, they have a new separate thing at, at at the same time with the you know talking about video on demand. They have other new set of regulations for video sharing platforms, and those might fall under those. Depending are, what which service you're talking depending about, depending on yeah. the service and the usage right. So it could maybe like you might be onto something. Brian, thirty thirty percent local, <laughs> locally grown. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and and the other thing is, I, some people are 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 putting out the idea that if you put locally made dubs or captioning, that that could make it qualify as as a locally produced version uh, of stuff. So, or and some of, I could see if you do dubs particularly, and that in, might count. In, in some of the reading that I saw while looking up this this quote. Uh, you know, the EU has this whole like question and answer uh, that that talks about like the different mechanisms that other that member states already have in place. And some of them are not about percentage of library, but rather they're about promotion of content. So if if we're not talking about a certain percentage, you may have to like surface a certain amount of local. content yeah. or label. Uh, there's, there's also a, an option to just donate to the local film council yeah. instead of if you're like, oh, hey, like our you, stuff you buy is 100% yeah. Japanese, but we'll give the this much money to the local film council to encourage local creation. But those are older. That was an older document, I believe, before these new regulations. So the they may not be exactly one to one. Man, the, well, the, the local the local donation was still in the variety story that we talked about last week. So I, I don't know where that stands. Uh, the, the more I think about this, the more I think about the complications, the more upset I get uh, about this. I don't know. Well, that's uh, every law. I mean, yeah, yeah that's every a... <laughs> law is written in a, a certain way to where everybody tries to figure out the loopholes, right? Like they try to hack the system. Yeah, th there was a. One uh, one area, I want to say in Minnesota, where it's like they outlawed uh, all nude uh, cabarets and they said that you have to be wearing panties and the ladies just wore them uh, as bracelets on their wrists. This is why we have lawyers right there. That's, yeah. that's right. Uh, hey, man, uh, where could we see so much more Filmmaker IQ stuff? What is the preferred if somebody wants to dive in? And, and by the way, for those of the uninitiated, Filmmaker IQ are gorgeously succinct well-produced well-written thoughtful incisive cinema commentaries uh, uh written by john hess what is the preferred ecosystem that you want people to like fall into and get get into your stuff well you can go to filmmakeriq.com uh filmmaker two m's iq.com or you can go to our youtube channel that's where we're putting most of our content now is youtube.com just look up filmmaker iq and I will be there. Those are all our course videos. And then we do, like, we're starting to do a history of, of, of studios. We have some interviews, some different commentary, all kinds of stuff. We're just trying to change things around, get a feel for what works out have, have you uh, Have you ever done, like, a crossover thing with our friends over at Film Riot? Are you familiar no, with Ryan Con no. Connolly stuff? Oh, you guys would get along famously. I th I, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll have to introduce you guys. That would be fun. All right. 
Excellent. Uh, thank you, John. And thank you, everybody, for watching. Our website is cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. We're live on twitch.tv slash nightattack, which is also carried on diamondclub.tv. Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll kill your cords for you again next week. No extra charge, just the dollar. Yeah, we're like, we're like the berry of cords. Hey, guys. Brian and Tom here, and it's just the same old message. At the end of the credits, just like always. That's right, Brian. Nothing new here except your name showing up. Oh my gosh! Because I've you got a just name. supported us on Patreon. Yeah, all those five dollar donors. Look at that. That's your name in pixels. We're gonna make you famous, kid. Put your There's name in pixels on the internet. Classic names in there, but some of you are new. Some of you aren't there. It's sad. What can they do, Brian? I mean, they could go to Patreon.com/slash Cord Killers and pledge five dollars an episode to be one of these amazing people, like this the one. Amazing. Oh, look at look at that name right there. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>